it's it's definitely one of those things where we see the power in language. One trial and one letter led to not only Oscar Wilde's imprisonment and death, but also the birth of an entire slur. So Kit, what does queer identity mean to you personally? So for me personally, especially in recent like months and years, I've found it very much meaning a refusal to be palatable to the world around me. There's this idea of of conforming and sacrificing parts of yourself and your identity and who you are and all of that in order to be palatable to the world that's been built and constructed around us. And I feel like there is so much power in the word queer as just this idea of refusing to be palatable. And that's really what I've, I've embraced it as at this point, even like with naming myself Kit which is kind of like borderline an inanimate object, but is something that really spoke to me and that I loved and that I still love and that really just feels like me, but it's not very palatable to the world around me. And I feel like that's genuinely what the word, what the identity of queer has come to mean for me. I like that. I like your understanding of it and your feeling of it about not being palatable to the world around you. Because for me, it's similar in the way that it doesn't fit the normative narrative of what it is to be normal. Yeah, by definition, it's the idea of going against. Exactly. I've, I've come to appreciate it as this vibrant tapestry of different experiences, which encompass sexual orientations, gender identities that don't conform to societal norms. And today it's more of like an umbrella term for me. Like it provides shelter for those who don't exactly or exclusively identify as heterosexual or cisgender. In my journey, it took me t- some time to embrace this term. And honestly, even today, still working through a little bit of a feeling of sense of wholeness with it in terms of identity, because because of the word's origin having been used predominantly as a slur or way to degrade, like also much of the language used to describe the LGBTQ plus identities, queer has had this history of uh, reclamation from homophobic origins. But I guess because I'm, I'm older and I'm a little bit of the old school, those things always, they're always in the back pocket, right? As a reminder. And so that's kind of how I feel today. Like queer is a, it's a very colorful term and I've, I've learned to embrace it, but there's also like this residue of, I remember the roots of it because I remember when it was used as a degrading term. That's so fair. And I feel like it's really important to remember that like a lot of the terminology we now have comes from very similar roots. And it's so interesting to see how language evolves in one person's lifetime. Yeah. And this word specifically, it has its origins basically centered around uh, the English language stemming from 16th century. Yeah, it's it's a little muddy, but they, they say around the 16th century is when they started noticing it being used to mean things like strange, peculiar, eccentric. It's it's just so weird how it evolved over time. So let's dive into that. Yeah. So over time, I guess the word queer has evolved to describe anything outside of the norm. So queer has its roots in in the old English word queer, but it's spelled C-W-E-R and the E has a um, macron over it. It's a like a short line over the letter E. Yeah, yeah I found that and I, I thought it was amazing. And I looked it up because old English, they pronounce things a little bit differently. So the C is pronounced as a K sound and the line over the E indicates that it would be a, it's a, it's a diacritical mark, right? And it's used to indicate long vowel sound. So E as in like the word C, S-E-E, E sound, long E sound. So C-W-E-R. But from old English, the meaning actually was twisted or oblique, which I thought was really cool. That's really cool. I love that. 
Yeah. Just goes to show English is weird. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know. I say, and, and just to show how weird it is, uh, it was around the 19th century that we started seeing uh, queer used to describe same-sex attraction. And it seemingly all connects to one very infamous trial, which is the trial of writer Oscar Wilde. And uh, during that trial, the father of the man that he was accused of sleeping with wrote a letter that was read aloud to the court in which Oscar and other gay men of the time were referred to as snob queers. And this just kind of became picked up by the public. <laughs> so let's dive into the story a little bit. So Oscar Wilde's trial uh, was around the time uh, 1895. Oscar Wilde was a prominent Irish playwright and author. And uh, he was put on trial in 1895 for, quote, gross indecency due to his homosexual relationships. In the trial, it, it resulted from his romantic relationship with Lord Alfred Douglas and his father, who was, he was the Marquis of Queensbury. He disapproved of their relationship. So the father, he wrote this letter. This is actually the turning point in uh, Wilde's trial. It occurred when the father, who was actually enraged by his son's involvement with, with Oscar Wilde, he left a calling card at Wilde's Club with the inscription for Oscar Wilde posing somdomite. So if you don't know what the word somdomite means, it's uh, someone who pra practices sodomy and it's used as, as a term of abuse or disparagement for a gay person. And so this calling card and the subsequent events led to this little case that was brought by the Marquis. And during the trial, the letter of the father, the Marquis of Queensbury, it was written out loud in court. And in the letter, the Marquis referred to Wilde and other gay men of the time as snob queers, using derogatory language to describe them. And the term snob queers, it was a, a pejorative expression intended to insult Oscar Wilde and those associated with him. So in other words, other queers. Absolutely. You know, this had a significant impact on this case. The use of such derogatory language and the evidence presented in the trial significantly affected the public's perception and ultimately the court's decision. And then... Subsequently, as a result, his legal defense, actually, they struggled to counteract the, the negative portrayal of his character. So ultimately, he faced a conviction and imprisonment because of it. As in his imprisonment ultimately led to his death, I do believe. Yeah. And so I guess, you know, like, what is the significance here? Like, why are we even talking about this, right? And, and what do we want our listeners to understand in terms of understanding the history of the word queer? And I guess it's that the trial of Oscar Wilde, you know, it was a piv pivotal moment in, in the LGBTQ plus history because it highlights the persecution, the discrimination faced by gay individuals in that era. And it also underscores the importance of language and, and labels where derogatory terms like you know, snob queers were used to denigrate and marginalize the LGBTQ plus people. At, in, uh, you know, of that time. I say, and it's wild because I say within months of this trial, you started seeing the word queer popping up in newspapers and things of that nature, different publications to describe gay men, same-sex relation men. And it, it's wild how quickly something like that can just spread through the public consciousness. Even by 1914, it was added to the concise new patronage dictionary of slang, which it, that's barely any time. Oh, wow. Yeah. By 1914, the word queer was added a heterosexual derogatory from the outside, not from within. From the outside. Yeah. Twisted, oblique, non-normative from the outside. You think the trial happened in, uh, you said, 1895? Mm-hmm. And by 1914, it was entering a dictionary of slang. That's just... Yeah. Already circulating as a slur. Yeah. 
And then ultimately, you know, it became part of the identity of the LGBT plus people. Absolutely. Right. Like merely as a descriptor. I say, and, and even it's wild because even at the time, as it was circulating as a slur, there were instances where the word was being used by people in the community and also by people outside of the community as just like a descriptive word. Like there were instances in a paper of uh, 14 young men with the promise that they would have the opportunity of meeting prominent queers which doesn't really have a negative connotation behind it. It's more just describing these men. And then there were young men calling themselves queer as early as 1952. And I know that during the um, pre-Stonewall, during a time when gay clubs and bars were regularly you know, raided, uh, many of these letters and correspondences were found in which gay men described themselves using the term queer. It's almost like even during the period when it was being used against us, we were still trying to reclaim it. Yeah. Like throughout the 1900s, with the birth of many civil rights movements during that time, brought on by major historical moments, chants like, we're here, we're queer, and clothing and signs like, outrage, queers against homophobia, became very commonplace. So now you're starting to see a little bit of a shift. Yeah, it's slowly, we're, we're, we're now using it as a way to let people know that we're, we're going to demand to be seen rather than as something being used against us. Yeah. And, and even throughout the course of the 20th century, just in general, like especially during the time that the LGBTQ plus rights movement and the AIDS crisis, the term queer underwent this complete transformation. And, and um, that was when it started to be reclaimed by the LGBTQ plus community, serving as both a symbol of resilience and defiance against the discrimination and prejudice that had been the case up until that point. Later, like in academic and activist circles, queer theory emerged as even a field mm -hmm. of study. As a sect off from women's studies. And those studies, right, started to explore the, the complexity of sexuality and gender. That's basically the birth of how queer theory emerged. And even there, there are just so many like visionaries to, to, to really highlight with things like that. But there's a couple that I feel like really need to be brought into light. People like Michael Folcott, Michael Warner, Judith Butler, Eve Koskowski, Sedgwick, and Lauren Burland. They became extremely influential in the development of queer as a broader way to identify things like gender and sexual identities rather than words just like gay, lesbian, especially because at that time, bisexual, pansexual didn't really exist. So if you felt attraction to multiple genders, you were just kind of like, wait, what, what am I? And then you, the word queer kind of became an umbrella term. Yeah, and that umbrella term is important because now you have inclusivity of the spectrum of gender and sexual identities. And that's just such a beautiful thing. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing. It's just, it's genuinely so cool. Yeah, it's, it is. And I'm, and, and I'm glad that we decided to talk about this topic because I, I feel like, and as I've said before, I feel like even people in our community within the LGBT plus community, you know, don't really know a lot of the history and the evolution of how we got this far. And I think it's really, there are a lot of key things and um, just a lot of importance in the history and, and knowing our roots. Yeah, no, 100%. It's definitely important, especially like knowing that the word queer has its origin in Oscar Wilde's trial. It's one of those things that is never really spoken about. I mean, even like Oscar Wilde's green carnation thing, that's, that's, that's one of those things that I think is so beautiful that no one really talks about like it was that they're his own little signaling to the other gay people around him like hey i'm like you <laughs> i love that it's, it's important to remember the roots of the word queer as a derogatory term 
you know, especially through the story of Oscar Wilde, because I feel like it underscores that importance of, of recognizing and challenging derogatory language and stereotypes that can perpetuate discrimination as they happen even today with other words. 100% either A, they just need to be worked out of the public lexicon because there is no saving them, or they are intended for a very specific community and if you're not in that community, don't say the word. It, it's it's definitely one of those things where we see the power in language. One trial and one letter led to not only Oscar Wilde's imprisonment and death, but also the birth of an entire slur. These these things matter. We can't pretend that they don't. Snob queers is a stark example. Honestly, I want it on a t-shirt. Um, I think that's a very interesting and poignant um, term. That's one of those things, like I said, we keep in the back po- in our back pocket, right? It serves as this poignant reminder of of the progress that has been made in the fight for LGBTQ plus rights. You know, even moving forward, because there's there's still so much work to do. There's still so much left to go, and we have to remember throughout that process that our words matter just as much as our actions when it comes to dismantling oppressive systems and helping each other along the way, making sure no one is left behind, for lack of a better way to put it. Absolutely. Um, yeah, but it became clear from the, the, the early 2000s, even, that queer was going to become a more of an identity rather than a slur or a word used to hurt us or used against us. There, there were many instances, even throughout the hellscape that was the early 2000s, of queer people embracing that word, taking it for ourselves, using it in protests, in chants, in things for marriage equality and things of that nature. I really love that. It just, when I think of it, I think of a lot of colors and I think it's pretty apropos that our flag is the spectrum of colors. Mm -hmm. Just as a side note. Yeah. Our, Our prisms. Yeah. So I guess in closing, Kit, what do you want our listeners to take away from this? I would say the most important thing is there is a lot of power and strength in the ability to turn a word with origins and degradation into some and violence and stuff like that into something of unity and acceptance and love and hope. I I would say that. What would you say would be the most important thing for people to take away from today? Well, I think it's important to um, know our roots and where we come from so that we can understand how we have how much we have evolved and progressed over time. Everybody should try their best to live all the way into their internal power. And I think when we lean into our inner power, it'll, it frees us, right? It allows us to step into all of who we are and feel the wholeness of our expression, no matter what that looks like. We can look back and we can celebrate the small wins, or while also at the same time, giving ourselves permission to just be ourselves out loud. Yes. Always striving toward the light, right? Uh, uh, there's an artist that I very much like. She's a trans woman. Her name, her name is Ezra Furman. She, at one point at a concert, said that uh, specifically the trans, but I feel like the queer experience as a whole, queer experience is a line between euphoria and despair. It's constantly walking the line between euphoria and despair. Yeah, like there's just so much joy and bliss and wonder and amazement, but there's also, you know, 
over 500 bills and people calling us terrible things like G words and P words. So I love that quote and thank you for sharing that. I'm excited to get our information out to the world uh, to have a positive effect and change on the LGBTQIA plus community. And uh, with that, we're going to end with a fun fact. Yes, that sounds perfect. So the song Centuries by Fallout Boy, which I'm sure we all know and love, uh, was co-written by a non-binary person who wrote a good portion of the song and especially the chorus about Marsha P. Johnson, who is a queer activist. (laughs) 